Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Traveling Artist Podcast. This podcast is about leisure travel and the different experiences we all have when traveling, as well talking about our journeys through life and representation of Canadian arts and culture. I'm your host, Easton Berendrette. In this week's episode, we have Connor Ambler joining us. He is a graduate of Conestoga College with honors in his educational support program. Connor has done acting for multiple years. He's an award-winning artist from the National Theatre School of Canada Drama Fest competitions, formerly known as the Series Drama Festival. Connor has also worked with Penny and Pound Theatre Productions and getting a chance to perform his favourite story on stage, The Velveteen Rabbit with Lightning Banjo Productions. Connor is also an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community and hosts his own podcast with our friend Rachel called Two Gays, One Show. So let's get started. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How art thou? I am good, thank you. So, um, how has it been? How was your day? Uh, it's been going well. I was a full day at work, so and then I power napped. So hopefully my answers are coherent and not <laughs> messy. But we'll good, good. Um, so I'm just gonna dive right in. So usually how I start um it off is talking about COVID because that is a very hot topic and we're still going through it. So with COVID and the 15 months now and potentially even longer Mm. what was the initial reaction when this all started like did things change right away for you did it kind of slowly get in there with work and like slowly change there or your daily life and daily routine how did that kind of uh come to what it is right now uh so in the beginning ironically i was just hired for a job and then COVID hit. So okay, it, yeah, I my job was postponed until the following September. So in a sense that for a way to get out of the house and experience life, everything got stopped in that sense. Uh, it was also the second year that Luke and I were together. So it kind of put a halt to what plans we had already got in motion. And actually during that time, Luke was deployed. So what had happened was uh, he, because he's a reservist, he was sent to help during in the old folks home and such the retirement communities. So Mm. for a long time, I think it was four months, my person was gone. I couldn't see anybody else. And so I was kind of, it was a lot of spending time alone and just figuring out who I was and all that good stuff. It gave me a lot of time to kind of explore and reach out and meet other people and develop further relationships with people I didn't have before and it allowed me to be creative in a different way because you kind of had to be otherwise you would go completely insane during that time no exactly and I mean like especially during COVID like I think we've all seen it and like you said if you don't have a person or your person or your partner or like best friend or whatnot through these difficult times and yeah, you kind of feel lonely and you kind of wonder like, oh, like they're not here. What do I do? How can I fill my days? But that's where I think a lot of us kind of went through that and kind of grew and changed and obviously formed other relationships or reconnected and such. So it's it's just funny how it works and these sort of things work. And I mean, it it comes out for the better majority of the times. And I think looking back I think we will say it is overall somewhat of a positive note Mm -hmm. um but obviously people have lost a lot of their loved ones so that's that's the negative side as well but speaking of Luke is the second year in a row like you said and having him deployed now I'm not sure at the time did you have the house or an apartment that you had as well no so we were very very lucky uh so we had it was a long time that we had planned to move in together, but it didn't really come to fruition until last November. Fortunately, I was still living at home with my family because if I was here alone for four months, I can't even imagine how terrible that would be without a job or anything or exactly all of that expectations on me. So I was very lucky to be at home during that time. And so the only thing that really changed was I wasn't able to see him before he left. So that was hard. But it was a great experience for him to go in and kind of see the world without having to worry about how I was going to be because I was protected financially and all that good stuff. No, of course. And that's another question that um, I had, and we'll get into it later. But what was the conversation like? Did you have it prior? Did you have it um, during before he left that you're going to start looking? What was that 
conversation like to move in together, essentially? So it was very, very early on in our relationship, actually. So I would say probably two or three months into our relationship, we decided we wanted to move in together. It was very, we had a very whirlwind romance, I would like to say. Okay. We, we said I love you like a month or two after we started the relationship. It was very, very sudden and very quick. And it was just because it was that kind of person that you just felt right. Everything felt right and just kept progressing in a natural state. So the first conversation was just like, we should move in. And it was like, yeah, that seems like the natural step for us to <laughs> go to. Um, but like from a, it was always a financial perspective, though, that it wouldn't make sense to move in that early because we neither of us had full time jobs. So it began with uh, I was going to move up to Hamilton and because the acting seems better in Hamilton than it is in KW and uh, everything else just seemed to be make more sense to move to Hamilton. So I applied for a few jobs and I got them. But the problem was financially, we didn't have any of the backing to move up. So it was the last or not last December, but the December in 2019 that it was kind of like, it's not going to work. Hamilton is going to have to wait. I'm going to apply to the local school board. And then from there, we can rediscuss it. Then, of course, Luke got deployed. So that was a very easy discussion that he's leaving. (laughs) So um, what had happened for that was he said, I'm going to put my name towards it. I don't think it's going to happen. But if it does, just be prepared. And realistically, Luke wasn't really doing anything. So for me to be like, I don't want you to go because I'd rather you just stay at home and do nothing (laughs) versus go and, and doing something good for the community. So he went and got deployed. And like, I want to say probably third week he was deployed. He texted me. He's like, I'm going to move to Kitchener with you. And I was like, holy shit, what? Because <laughs> I, had I know, kind of plan. shocking that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, great. We can move to Kitchener. Let's do that. And so he was came back at the end of the summer. He had training as well. And then in October, I started looking for a place. And even then, there were a lot of uh, debates, like financially, if we'd be smart. But we both had, he had really good savings. And I had just started working full-time-ish. So it seemed just the right course of action. And we moved in December or November. And so for uh, the moving process and for applications and such, we made sure Luke wanted to let the landlord know that we were gay. It was very important to him then and like because we went through Kijiji that yeah. in the opening message it was like we are a gay couple we are looking for a place to rent blah 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 and legally speaking no one can discriminate against you for being gay but they can definitely yes. be like you don't have enough money so I'm not gonna rent for you or something yeah. so we found like a nice landlord who's I, w- I don't know if I would say accepting enough to take our money I don't know if he approves <laughs> but you know it's not a discussion that was really had so that was nice uh so yeah and that's it was basically like it's the generic thing to do is to get together move in and we did exactly that so it was very easy no that's good and I mean having those conversations ahead of time I think really shows that if you're going to be committed or not to the person and if you're looking for a long-term relationship and you can see that already then that's awesome so Mm -hmm. that's where like you said getting into the financials it's like does this make sense at the time or do we kind of just want to wait around? But obviously it made sense. Like you said, Hamilton didn't really work out. KW mm-hmm. kind of worked in a better way because obviously you're close and you're, you're getting a house because it is hard to find nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and even um, like our friend, Rachel, she had kind of the, kind of the same um, mindset where she wanted to stay close, but she wanted that particular house and, it is hard. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it works out. It always works out eventually in, in different ways and weird ways as well. But that's Yeah, good. exactly. And like you said, it was weird in the sense that, like, I said to Luke, it's a good thing we hadn't moved in together because I, being alone for three months, would have been miserable. I would not have been a happy person to talk to. So Exactly. It all works exactly. out, I'm happy to say. Right? Exactly. And I mean, talking about uh, making friendships and relationships and such is that during the pandemic, you and our friend Rachel actually started a podcast as well. Um, And it's a success and you have a um, an Instagram page and all that and it's um, called two gays one show but I mean this is another great idea and I mean myself as well starting a podcast um, but having having something to do so um, Mm -hmm. talk about talk about your show and how that came to uh, fruition. 
So Rachel and I, we are pretty funny together, I think. We have good chemistry with each other, and we're both kind of dumb in different ways. So I think we really bring out the stupid in each other even more so. <laughs> so we, we can just really build off each other's dumb jokes. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know what, Rachel, let's just do a podcast. And she's like, for real? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. So that was the beginning of the podcast. And I think we've said this for a year or so. But like you said, with COVID, we were like, you know what? let's just do it. I have my own place now. It's easier to record. Let's just start our podcast. And so it came about, it was a lot of planning. So we planned, I think a month in advance, we went through every kind of section we wanted to do. And so we have like a movie review because I like movies so I could talk about movies. And then Rachel had Tinder questions because she loves to organize and make everyone else just feel really disorganized. So it just kind of worked in both of our strengths and interests. And so we recorded the first episode. We're like, hey, this feels okay. I, we felt a little hesitant because, you know, it's always interesting starting something new because you're not sure if it's really going to work out. Exactly. And fortunately, it did. We have a lot of fun, and that's the basis of it. Once we stop having fun, as I mean, if there was a, a huge following, we probably wouldn't give it up. But as long as we're having fun, we don't really care how many people listen. But that said, please, everyone listen to it. We need more <laughs> followers and such. But I will warn you, it's very explicit. We discuss everything very honestly <laughs> on that podcast. No. Well, yes. As a yes, as a guest on their show, I do know what's what goes on and what happens. But you are right is that if you're not having fun, then why do it? But if you're having fun, then just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it works out because you have your own place. So you can go to your little recording studio and do your thing. But you also both have that sense of or you both have um, the personalities for talking and being very open and nothing's off the table per se, but also having a cool twist to it and that fun side. And like you said, it's very broad. So everyone can um relate in some sort of way mm -hmm. no but that's awesome and I mean that's where we see even when I was talking to one of my friends we're going to be seeing a lot more entrepreneurship during mm -hmm. and post pandemic I think which is going to be amazing but that's also where podcasts in particular have taken off because everyone has been stuck at home so if you're stuck at home and everything's virtual then it kind of works out how we're doing it right now through different apps and different ways of communicating. So it's it's really interesting and that's what I like about it, but it's fun. As long as it's fun and you're having fun, that's all that matters. That's it. I have to say Pride Month's really killing our viewership because everyone's posting hashtag gay. So a gay podcast does not do as well as you would hope during Pride Month. <laughs> it's been a struggle. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, it is what it is. We're going to just have to go with the flow on that exactly. one. <laughs> the gays help us and sometimes they hurt us. But in the end, <laughs> we all need them. All right. Exactly. So also it being Pride Month, it, like we said, we have very much um, our ambitious and advocate for being uh, within this community. But just diving right in. I know you and Luke met through a dating app and particularly not in person, but obviously you had meetups. Could you talk how it's changed from when you started to how it is now and what what's more so the new normal of are people actually finding love through dating apps or is it just basically a hookup site now and people are going to have to use their interpersonal skills and personalities to meet someone in person like we've done 20 or 15 years ago? So that's a very interesting question. I actually was on dating apps. So I was unofficially on them before I was 18 and then officially on them when you're supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, so I was on dating apps when I was 18 and then I met Luke three years later. So I was in there for the long haul. Yes. <laughs> okay. Longer. So what had happened was I started with Surge, so that was the dating app Luke and I were on. So that's basically uh, Tinder for gay men. It is exclusively gay men for gay men. Mm -hmm. So it's good in that sense that you kind of know what you're expecting. So on that app, I would switch between Surge, Grinder, and Tinder and just kind of mix and match and see what would happen. I didn't go on a lot of dates through the dating apps, but I did meet a lot of very interesting people. Um, <laughs> yes. I think Surge had a lot of those, you know, I'm a cam boy, please like follow this link, pay $10 and you can watch my show or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so those aren't great. And I don't, those don't seem to happen as often anymore. So that's a good thing. 
Um, I find Grinder was always kind of a minefield of good and bad experiences. I never had like consistent dick pics, thankfully. Um, <laughs> because I've always said that I'm like, I'm a very type person. Like I'm attractive to a certain demographic. I don't know if I would consider myself universally attractive. So I never was like super hit on in the very sexual sense. But you know, you'd get the odd one. Like I'm a 50 year old bear looking for a twink like you. And you're like, that's great. I'm going to look elsewhere. But then, exactly. Yeah. I met actually Grinder. I met a really interesting person. So what had happened was uh, a friend of mine knew about this gay guy at Chapters and I saw his Grinder. So I reached out to him because I already kind of knew who he was. And so like months, I pretended to be this random gay man that I actually hadn't known who he was beforehand. Mm-hmm. And we orchestrated it. So my friend was like, I know this really cool gay guy. Do you want to friend him? And he was like, Oh my God, I know him <laughs> already. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so I met him. We had great conversations and such. And we had met him once. And it was never like we were going to date, but we were just really good friends. So I've met really good f- threat friends through Grinder, actually. I've had, I've never done hookups, was never my thing. So I've met really good friends through Grinder and such and Tinder actually I met he was in disguise as a like cartoon character and I swiped right because at one point I was like I'm just gonna swipe right on everybody and see oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so I like I met him and he's like an award-winning screenwriter so like it's oh wow it's crazy but I think a lot of it's changed in the sense that people know how to navigate them better now and have clear expectations as to what they want and as you've seen, there's a lot of racism and a lot of uh, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic stuff on there. So that hasn't changed as much. I think people probably seem to hide it a bit better, but then eventually you're going to find out who they are and such. Uh, I think almost it seems to have gotten better. And I think more people have met through dating apps. I know you had Julian on beforehand. He's a mutual mm-hmm. friend of ours. And he was saying that the dating apps have killed the gay village scene because gay men are just meeting through these apps. So I think a lot of gay men are meeting more through apps and developing more long lasting relationships, whether they be sexual, platonic in that sense. So it seems to have grown and to be a bit more safe. And there are a lot, we know more about dating apps now because you know, I'm sure about the serial killer and like Toronto who preyed on gay men. Yeah. So like we know to watch out for the signs and we know how to be more careful and who we can tell and make sure that people always know where we are and feel safe and comfortable. No, exactly. And that's where, like you said, I think it's it's gotten a lot better, but we've also gotten a lot smarter, like the smarter mm-hmm. mindset of saying, Okay, this is not good, that's a red flag, uh, this feels a little bit sketchy, that sort of sense. But I think, yeah, like Julian, to Julian's point and to your point as well, is that we're seeing a lot more people go and make mutual friends or friendships and relationships, whatnot, on these apps. And it also kind of worked out with, well, I don't know, I don't want to say with COVID, but potentially social distancing wise about just being more virtual this year Mm -hmm. um, because of everything not being open and such. But It'll be interesting to see post-COVID and even this summer, maybe, um, to see if the if the village does rebuild itself or even, um, say, in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo or whatnot, um, that community builds itself a lot more because people want to get out and actually start meeting all these people that they've been talking to, per se. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's ever so changing, and at least we're getting a lot more um, smarter about it and better at it. Mm-hmm. And seeing the vast differences and also, like you said, watching out for um, the racism and homophobia and such and et cetera. But that's that's another, well, like I said, and like we both know, that's another thing that is just always changing and very interesting to see, to see um, or to hear, I should say, hear what people's opinions are about it. I'd also say make sure to know that dating apps are for the long haul, you can't expect to meet someone very quickly. Like I was on there three years and I got very lucky meeting Luke, but you just gotta keep pressing on. And I always say that before you go to bed at night, just swipe on people and maybe you'll meet someone, maybe you won't. But it is, it's similar to bars in the sense that you just gotta keep hopping bars until you find somebody. I mean, (laughs) exactly. And I hear it from when I was down in Niagara, I hear it from my friends and they would go bar hopping at, at uh, St. Catharines. And sure enough, one of my uh, friends met 
her boyfriend down there and it was just on a fluke and she thought nothing of it and now they've been together for almost I think it's two or three years now so it's 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 just I believe in the universe and that's how the universe works so it's just Mm -hmm. funny how funny how those certain things work out that way (laughs) yeah and I yeah I believe in soulmates and all that so it's destined you'll meet someone at the right time speaking about that do you have any tips or tricks or advice for um anyone looking or what you not to say what you wouldn't do uh differently but would you uh give them now knowing how how it all works so i'd say you got to be picky i know know people say don't be picky but you have to be picky if someone isn't attractive to you don't waste their time and your time by swiping right on them if you make sure you have your expectations very clear in the sense that either you want to date hook up that kind of thing because a lot of people, if you're vague about what you want, they'll find ways to finagle the rules to fit their benefit. So if you're like, I'm mostly looking for relationships, they're going to think, well, he might be into hookups or he might be into friends or that kind of thing. So you got to be real specific. Um, if you see like bullshit behavior, call people out on their bullshit. If you see red flags, ignore them, block them. If you don't like somebody, block them. Just there is a plight that people suggest being polite and saying, I'm not interested in you. Uh, I think that's wrong. Just block them. Just like, they aren't worth your time. <laughs> right, yeah. So, I think it's a nice courtesy, but I think realistically, it's spend you're spending a lot of your time doing this. So if you're not into someone, block them. Be very, very picky. And, you know, just be open to the possibility that you might not meet someone or you might meet someone. Don't think rigidly that you're never going to meet anyone or you're going to meet someone. Just be open to the experiences and to the different people you'll meet. Because like I said, I've met very good friends. I've met good partners through these apps. So it's just all about being open to new experiences, being picky and just, you know, respect yourself as a person, you know, you don't have to put up with their bad behavior. They shouldn't have to put up with yours. And if you're really failing at texting someone, just block them and move on. Yeah, no, I do agree. And that's, <laughs> it's, it, it does come down to a self-respect thing is that if you, if you don't have self-respect for yourself, then how are you going to have it for other people? And exactly. then it also goes to show that, like you said, if you're not getting, something from them then why are you why are you giving energy back to them like exactly it's all about I mean it goes back to the the day like goes back to the old saying it's like if your gut feeling is not with it then don't go for it <laughs> exactly and if you're making jo- I made jokes with one guy one time and they bombed every single time I was like okay cool we're gonna move on from this bad incident yeah, no but I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the downside of it. But then like we've discussed, the positive side is you have these friendships and you like it doesn't have to be anything and it can just be a friendship and stand like standalone friendship. And it turns out great. And that's where you can go to people for different advice or different um, things that you want to talk about or whatnot. So I'm it's it's always interesting, as I say, but that's that's the part of me that I like to see and learn about. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, if anything, from what I miss, I don't miss dating, but I miss meeting that wide variety of people. That's definitely something I enjoyed about dating apps is you get to even like glance at someone who's like, just so like not out of your league per se, but just someone you'd never date and see what they want. It's just fascinating to talk to certain people and such. So I miss that aspect of kind of exploring and meeting different people, even in a very brief sense. No, so of, it's great. Of course. To no, of course, of course. So then switching gears um, as well is we kind of touched on it and it is a touchy subject as of right now, especially with everything going on in the world, Mm -hmm. but narrowing down, um, I know we talked about how specifically um, the movie, The Prom um, Mm -hmm. uh, casted James Corden and obviously James Corden uh, is straight, but having representation of LGBTQ characters being played by actual LGBTQ um, community members in movies and film and TV shows and whatnot. What are your thoughts and perspectives on that? So I think it's so it's interesting because it's tricky in the sense that some people want only gay actors to play gay characters. And that's, I think, a very tricky thing because it very much narrows people down. So in the sense that if we look at like Luke Evans, who played Gaston in the Beauty and the Beast remake, he's gay. 
So by that logic, he couldn't play a straight character by narrowing it down like that. And then we have some people who just feel it's completely wrong for a straight person to play a gay character. And I think we need to find a good balance of that because, you know, we have, we need to have more representation of gay people in film and cinema. And But the thing is, we need to have producers who are in those roles. So as I'm sure you're aware in Hollywood, women aren't very much like there are very few women directors. There are very few roles for women over a certain age. So having more women in those producing roles, such as like Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman, they're in producing roles now and they cast women in those roles. So we need more gay producers to be in those roles and to cast more young up and coming gay people. And it's gotten a lot better, but I think part of it too is we get a disappointment from looking up an actor and finding out he's not gay because if we're watching a movie like um love simon it's kind of disappointing that he isn't one of us he doesn't really get what our experience is like dating he's a good actor in that film i can't remember his name but it's he can't really relate to what it was like having to come out and he's able to empathize and create a character but he doesn't really know so it's sad when we think we have an ally and think we have someone who is one of us but isn't really one of us that kind of feels I feel like I'm a trail at times and movies like call me by your name it's an interesting because both again both those actors are straight but they demonstrate what heartbreak looks like but really it's hard to I would think for them to really understand what it's like to have a secret gay love but you can't have it because society is against you and all those different factors so I think it's just tough to have and it's tough for us to see such raw gay roles being given to straight actors because they don't can't relate as well as us and they can't understand what we went through and such and there's a movie called the normal heart which is about the aids crisis and that was by ryan murphy who's a gay man and it's such a good film but i don't understand why mark ruffalo was the main character all the other actors are gay i believe for the most part or the actors, the characters that are gay are played by gay actors, but why cast a straight guy in such a gay movie? Like, it's just hard to understand why they would do something like that and why Ryan Murphy would cast him. Obviously, he's a bit of a bankable star, but there are other gay bankable stars that we could have. And you could also look at it in a sense that because of the AIDS crisis, AIDS crisis we lost so many actors, gay actors. So it's a lot of newer gay actors coming up to take those roles and the ones we do have they were blacklisted from hollywood for decades Mm -hmm. and then some of them are still blacklisted so it's hard for some gay actors to even come out and when they do it's they get blacklisted or they get honed into gay roles so i think it's it's tough and it's it's a situation that needs to change and I think it's slowly changing. We just, like, Ryan Murphy has been so good at casting gay actors. I don't know why he cast James Gordon in The Prom. That seems like a weird choice for him to make, but... <laughs> yeah, no, but... Oh, yeah, I guess I really didn't think about how it it comes down to the producing side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like you said, Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman are having um, these women come in and also, like, portray them and have these not boxes checked off, but having, having, a how do I word this? Having um, portraits of words, but a diverse cast of different ages, ethnicities, and so on. Mm-hmm. And same with um, the uh, same with like black, Asian, Filipino, Latino, and so on and so on. And including the, the LGBTQ community. And then like you also said about having a whole cast, basically, um in the community and then the the main actor straight it just it yeah it is tough it doesn't really make sense in some aspects it makes sense in others so that's where i think yeah it it's gonna need a little time it's gonna need a little work everything is a work in progress um but yeah if we have basically i don't want to say those cheerleaders but if we have those cheerleaders in hollywood kind of um, pushing the envelope and kind of moving things forward and coming to the 21st century and coming to, as people say every year, 2020, 2021, like this is 2021. This is what we're supposed to be doing and not having it way back in 1960s or 70s or whatnot. But it's, it is interesting. And I mean, recently um, it, it came out kind of after or a little bit after Love, Simon, but we all know um, Love, Victor. Yeah. 
and how people had a lot of controversy over how they wrote it. Um, not, I don't think I heard anything about casting, but same thing again that I think majority of the I think majority of the cast is straight, but I'm not quite sure. Don't quote me on that. But it's yet again not not having those feelings, not understanding to the full effect of what we go through or what we feel or what we do and what it's what it what it is to be a part of the community. Yeah, sure, you're an ally, and I support that 100%. And thank you for that. But I mean, we even kind of saw it in season, I don't know if you've watched it yet, but even in season two, where they've, they've done their best, and it's great, and I appreciate it. But I'm hearing yet again, a lot more kind of controversy over the religion factor, Mm. the the first the first couple uh benji and victor being a first couple and going through that and being more of a mentor versus a partner so like like we've discussed it's just very tough and it's it's a tough not a tough topic to talk about but it's a it's a sensitive yet politically correct and technical topic to mm-hmm. dive into per se I think probably a lot of it will be, we need like a Meryl Streep, a gay male Meryl Streep who gets like four Oscars. Everyone wants him. <laughs> that Honestly. will change because they will want this great actor in his films and we'll get more representation and more people being like, ah, so gay people aren't into this box. They can have versatility. And a lot of gay actors do. It's just, they aren't allowed to explore that. And if you look at Hollywood, a lot of the elite are still old white men who don't like to see men being vulnerable and kissing other men. So a lot of that's change. (laughs) It does. It does. So, I mean, here's hoping, here's um, voicing our opinion and all these people are hearing it eventually mm-hmm. um, but yeah when it does come I think a majority of us or I should say all of us maybe will be happy about the change um, that will that will come mm-hmm. but um, moving into from screen to stage uh, we both have done theater for many many years Mm-hmm. Um, and you've obviously stayed uh, somewhat local in the KW region and a little bit further out. But I really wanted to touch on why, um, like you've mentioned to me, why is the Velveteen Rabbit so close to you? Mm-hmm. And then also what it was like to actually perform it on stage and like be in that production and uh, see your, uh, see your, um, oh, what's the word? See, I guess see your dreams come to life. <laughs> uh, so it was very cool in the sense that, so it wasn't my first professional acting gig. It was actually my second. My first one was some uh, University of Waterloo, like, you know, those uh, informative uh, little movies they show at schools. It was like, men can ask for math help from women. <laughs> that was the first thing. Yes. But the second professional thing I had done was develop Team Rabbit, and that was building a character from the ground up with the director and the, well, I guess it was director, writer, and based on the original story. So I had actually never heard of the story when I had, had auditioned for it. Uh, I picked a, I was like, so I asked a friend, I was like, what's the Velveteen Rabbit like? And she's like, it's kind of a, a melancholy piece. I was like, okay, perfect. I'll pick this monologue, which is about teenage suicide. Holy hell, was that depressing compared to what the <laughs> oh, no. Velveteen Rabbit was about. Because it's not like, it's a melancholy piece, but it's not as sad as I thought it was going to be. So it was, I got the addition because I'm pretty cute. And I think that really <laughs> lended itself to the character. So it was a um, three month rehearsal period and we performed for the Christmas season. And it was, it was a bit of a struggle at first because it's uh, as a first professional acting gig, you got to explore yourself and see what you can bring to the performance while meeting what the director's expectations are. Cause ultimately she has the complete and utter decision when it comes to it. And since she also wrote it, she really knew what she wanted from her characters. So it was tough kind of transitioning from that high school where the director is your teacher and she kind of lets you get away with stuff that maybe you shouldn't get away with. So it was very much, very more rigid and a lot of exploring. And it felt not that I was out of my element, but it was a different experience for me because I had never really thought I was going to do theater. I thought I'd go straight to film because theater, I love theater now, but at the time I had thought, you know, it's not my kind of acting. It's very, it's more over the top than what 
film acting is because film acting you can be very subtle you can say a lot more with a glance whereas theater you can't do that because no. the guy in the sixth <laughs> row is not gonna know that you're being subtle he's just gonna think you're bad yes so, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna give you the smoldering look can you see me probably not <laughs> um so it was a lot of fun and i built a really good rapport with the director and so a lot of it, I don't know, Sally Field's Oscar speech where she like, when she won the second Oscar, she went, you guys really like me. So for the <laughs> longest time, I thought she didn't like me because she was just like on me all the time about different notes that I needed to do in different ways to take the character and such. And ultimately, it was a collaboration on the both of us. But it like some days I was like, you're not doing this right, Connor, do it this way. And I was like, God damn it. I thought I had it down, but I apparently didn't. So um, I guess there was a lot of ego there as well that I had to get over to be more vulnerable and be more comfortable doing it. But when we had finished the show, she had given me a copy of The Velveteen Rabbit and wrote a very nice note into it. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys actually liked me this whole time. I thought I was just annoying you. But it was it was a lot of fun and it was a good challenge because and it's well, it was a shorter play. So I can't imagine if it was like an hour and a half long, how brutal that would be. Yeah, it's a very physical piece and it was very much uh, just creating a play for children, especially to you got to be even higher than you would be for normal theater because you got to keep the kids engaged. So it paid off. It really did. And it was so I loved seeing myself in the bunny costume. I looked so cute. as a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it was it really helped me develop my skills as an actor and get more kind of feel respected and feel that I am good at, I'm a good actor. And it's uh, something I struggle with a lot that I don't think I'm that great, but I feel that I'm a pretty solid choice for most things. So uh, yes. actually Luke and I's second date was him going to see the Velveteen Rabbit. Aww. Isn't that cute? So he was able to see me like very early on in the relationship, right in my element. <laughs> no, so, I mean, that's, that's good because then great. you, yeah, because then you get to see a different, not a different side, but you get to see all the sides of, I mean, what you're getting into, but also, um, <laughs> also what that person person likes and has has to offer and what they love to do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, especially when you mention like you have to be more open and vulnerable. I think that's also hand in hand with when you go into theater. Um, you have to kind of be open and very vulnerable to put yourself out there to create these characters that you're about to play or, mm -hmm. and perceive because I mean, especially um, when we were doing, uh, you know this, but when we were doing Sears, um, which is now the National Theatre School Drama Fest, um, you, when you got handed the scripts or got handed a script and you were playing this character, you kind of had to take, take, um, take in what they were thinking, what they were doing, feeling and such, what they would wear, blah, 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 mm -hmm. and kind of put your personality aside and say, okay, this is basically the new me. But I, I totally understand, but that's where you always, you always think a certain way and you kind of, you're, you're in that little niche of like, okay, got to do this, got to do that, got to make mm -hmm. sure I'm doing this right. Because you have that little, little um, director in the back of your head, but it's, it's nice to know after you, after you're done and finished and you close that you get those notes that obviously you got the book um, mm -hmm. and you're kind of, you're, you're proud of yourself that you've achieved that. Oh yeah. And you, I, I got some wonderful like, audience feedback. I know one kid, he was watching it and uh, one of, she was like a curator and she was selling stuff and she asked him, she's like, Oh, who was your favorite character in the show? And she's like, and he's like, little boy went the Velveteen rabbit. And she's like, Oh, okay. Why? Because he went, oh, because he sounds like me. And you're like, so to this oh. little boy who probably is uncomfortable in his body or sounds a little different or maybe is picked on, like to have someone on stage sound similar to him probably, I hope, was a comforting feeling to him. And I had another woman come up to me and she's like, I've never had a rabbit, but if I did, I would want them to be like you because you were so... <laughs> cute you were so passionate and you were so caring about Pamela the girl that I was the who had adopted me so it was like it was crazy I was like I would never have said that about my performance but they get that kind of feedback was meant the world to me obviously because it's just so nice to have people see perhaps a side of you and see something you brought to the character that you didn't think you were doing or you weren't super confident about but 
No. I'm definitely very proud and very confident and very happy with my Velveteen Rabbit. I definitely would reprise the character. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And I mean, like like you said, hearing those comments and especially um, the boy that you mentioned is like seeing rep- seeing him represented through you on stage and potentially saying like, oh, I can do that. I can do that, whether it's in theater or just in life in general. It's a huge compliment, not only to you, but also it just says like, I'm, I'm representing you and you have that, you have that special moment. Oh, no, it's, that's amazing. Yeah, the feedback was crazy positive. And I was very fortunate because it's a very, it's a, I always forget the term, but it's a theater group that uses a lot of the same people. So they, again, it's a really benefit to me that I did well, because then I'll, hopefully they'll cast me again for more roles down the line. So it it all pays off and it all works out very well. <laughs> no, of course, exactly. So then one of my favorite questions to ask on the topic of theater is what's been one of your favorite characters to play? And then what has been one of your favorite shows to be in? My favorite character, I should say the Velveteen Rabbit, but I would say probably (laughs) just for in case I get trouble, but I would say when we did The Importance of Being Earnest, I did Jack Worthing. Holy hell did I have so much fun with that character. I I had won an acting award for that character, so I loved him so much because I... He's kind of in baseline neurotic, but I really amped it up and he was just a mess constantly. So he was the most fun I've ever had for like a professional or not professional, but like a theater experience mm-hmm. of my own creations. I would say the medium is the most fun for me to play. So he's this <laughs> character who goes hunting for ghosts, but he's really bad at it because he's like the stereotypes of all the stupid of all the ghost shows where they don't make any sense and they just make shit up. He's like, oh, that. <laughs> so he's just, he's so fun to perform and very easy to get into. So he's, those are my two like favorite kind of characters to perform. And the best show I've been in, my favorite show would be the Velveteen Rabbit because of all the people in that production were just so talented and so good at their roles. And it was just a pleasure to go to work every day with them. So, right. And that's and how the most rewarding experience as well. Right. And that's how it's supposed to be is that you're supposed to love when you go into rehearsals and have a laugh and kind of form this show that you're creating and see it from start to finish. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's the best time in the world. And always keep your scripts, friends. They're get a sign, you know, you never know when you might get famous. Yes. <laughs> scripts script, and pencils. Them, them, <laughs> do it all. <laughs> yes. No. So then moving into the last topic is that, um, depending on the quote that you share, I always like to see what, why you chose it and what it means to you. So when I got yours, it's just very simple and sweet, but it can have so much meaning behind it. So the quote is art is imperfection. So my question to you is, what does that mean to you? And why, why did you choose it, essentially? So first of all, I want to say, I don't know if it, I, I think someone said it, but I, I can't find who said it. So I'm going to take ownership of this quote until like something famous <laughs> is like, actually, I said that. So okay, <laughs> I said it, I was talking to Julian about it and he's like, that's good. I was like, he's like, who said that? I'm like, I have no idea. I know somebody did, but I'm taking it for now. <laughs> so the idea comes from, there's a musician called Kate Bush and she's a perfectionist, but she does how her singing is that she will, when she writes a song, she writes a character and performs a character when she does the song. So she's fascinating to listen to and fascinating to watch. But what she had done was she'd created this album and thought, oh, it could be better. So she rewrote some songs and re-recorded them. It just didn't sound as good because she worked so hard to make it perfect. So the quote comes from the idea that in life, nobody's perfect. And the characters we relate to most in film and all forms of art are those who are imperfect, who have flaws. We don't like the characters that are perfect. We might aspire to be them, but realistically, we always are drawn to characters that make mistakes and are very different people and very kind of weak and vulnerable with us. So the, I, the idea comes from the fact that nobody's perfect and we want to see that represented in ourselves and our art. And from art, you know, no piece will be perfect to an artist. There'll always be something we dislike about our art that we've created, Mm -hmm. something we'd want to go back and change. But realistically, people are going to still be moved by our piece. They're not going to see the flaws. Then they might 
think, oh, maybe this part's imperfect, but I'm going to gloss over it because to me it's perfect. So I think the best art, it usually comes by accident. Some you're just walking one day and you go, that's a wonderful tree. I'm going to write about that tree and you create this whole story around it. So it just comes back to the idea that nothing in life is perfect, uh, but we tend to try to make things as perfect as we can, but we can't because from those imperfections, we find the beauty in human beings. We find the beauty in art and beauty in the environment. So it just comes back to finding the beauty and about life and such. And it's never in the perfect. It's always in the flaws I find. And that's beautifully said. Thank you. (laughs) No, but you are right. Is that, especially when you say art is by accident, is that nine times out of 10 throughout anything and even throughout life is that, you are you are aspiring to be a certain way or feel mm-hmm. a certain thing or or whatnot, but usually it happens by accident, and that's when it is somewhat beautiful to see because it's like oh like I actually did that I didn't mean to do that but it worked out well mm-hmm. it worked out for the better per se, and that's where especially in theater and especially in uh, even like art art. Um, um, I don't know how to say it, but like <laughs> paintings and such and all that visual art. There we yeah. go. <laughs> um, even in visual art and even in song, like you've mentioned for your example, um, that artist is that, yeah, you're going to rewrite. You're going to see like, OK, maybe do this way, that way. You're always improving and growing as well. Mm-hmm. But along the way, those are not to say the imperfections, but those are, um, I guess, the growth or the different ways of seeing things and different perspectives. And that's why it's not always, you can't always, well, yeah, you can't always get it perfect, but you're going to get close to where you want it to be or where you, okay, that's good. Like, perfect. That's great. I'm done. It's good. And that's, it's always something that you're striving for, whether it comes the way that you want it, it may not. But like we said, if it comes by accident and it's a beautiful accident, then you know what? that's good that's good for me and we're gonna we're gonna leave it like that (laughs) and you know while performing as well you'll make perhaps a mistake to yourself but it gets such a reaction from the audience that you're like oh my gosh I've been doing this wrong the whole time (laughs) right you've worked so hard to be this perfect being but you'll slip up and the audience is gonna love it so always I find that happy accidents little mistakes are what really makes art so special to us it's never going to be if someone made the perfect human body we would just you know we wouldn't like it as much as perhaps someone with a little flaw having a mole here it really brings a character to the person that perhaps they didn't have exactly and especially um physical comedy and when you say like i've been doing it wrong the whole time Mm -hmm. uh like a perfect example that i can think of is um this year's performances is that we would rehearse 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 and then on the day of well you have that um, that energy and that rush feeling where if you're gonna slip up at least you do it classy and you do it funny (laughs) Mm -hmm. do you have a favorite uh, theater accident i got a pretty good one (laughs) um favorite theater accident was 2016 sears it was at kci and we had never done, we've only, we had done it once and it was when we had to use food on stage. We had, I had my character, it was the three of us. It was my character and then two of my friends and we had to throw cake at one, one another. And obviously with Sears, it's very timed and we have to do it a specific way because it's a competition. And at KCI, we had to go out on the, the apron, so the center and the the towards the audience um towards the audience uh of the stage mm-hmm. but we had to go towards the apron and basically kind of plan it out and say okay it's not going to go over but we're going to aim that it's on the apron so it's going to be an easy cleanup mm-hmm. well sure enough it probably went two feet into the audience <laughs> by them and we're like oh like fuck we have to go yeah. clean it up now during the strike <laughs> and we only have five minutes and we yeah. have a very large set we had a very large um, like backstage area and we had different lightings. So that was probably my favorite memory that we kind of messed up with. Mm-hmm. But also if I had to do potentially another one is when we kind of, we had to build our set in another show. It was for Pyramus and Thisbe. Yeah. And as we we're building it, we kind of knock one of our actors uh, out. 
Oh. And they kind of like kind of walked into it as we were flinging this. Um, it was a show within a show. So flinging this stage up, mm-hmm. she kind of knocked knocked her head right into the wood. So that was a funny moment for the audience. But we're thinking, oh, shit, does she have a concussion? <laughs> but yeah, what's yours, though? That's good. I would like to. So for Sears, I just want to tell this quick story. Uh, we were at um, we 2016 also for KCI. So for uh, the importance of being around, I don't think you're supposed to do this, but we would take props off as the show was going on. So by the end of it, we had no props left. They were all off stage. Ah. So our, our sweep was real quick. I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but that's what we did. So I got, I have, there was one main story I think about, but you remind me of this other story. So I, I'm kind of the person that will do stupid shit just, I think, because it's going to make a good story later. I don't know why, just my body's weird like that. It'll make yeah. me trip and fall or do stupid shit or say yeah. something like, oh, damn, I shouldn't have done that. So I was going backstage. I had directed a play in my grade 12 year. I was going backstage to talk to the actors before the show. I tripped up the stairs and all the actors laughed at me <laughs> from behind the curtain. Oh, God. <laughs> and so the direct, the teacher's husband was like, I bet you Connor just fell up the stairs. And that's why everyone's laughing. And sure enough, oh. I came out and I was like, funny you'd say that. Because I was like, exactly <laughs> what happened. Um, oh, I took the words kind of, right out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite miss up, I didn't do this. So it was um, when I was doing Anne Frank, one of the actors. So I brought, I was Mr. Crawler. I brought someone into the attic. And so the other actor was supposed to introduce everyone in the attic to this man. And then I was supposed to leave. He forgot to do that and just left the scene. So I looked at uh, his wife and she didn't give me anything. I looked at all the other actors and I was like, well, thank you for your time. I'm going to go now. And uh, everyone kind of clicked in after and was like, oh, yeah, we're just going to keep running with it. But it was funny for like that 10 seconds. I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? (laughs) Just left me on stage. And I can't just be like, well, thank you for introducing everybody. It's time for me to go. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, that was mortifying. And I yelled at him after and he's like, oh, I didn't even notice. I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) make me look like an idiot. I mean, in the moment, you just have to go with it. (laughs) Yeah, it was so funny. But yeah, that was my favorite uh, mishap that created a very good story. (laughs) Right? And then it becomes an inside joke, as we know, for the whole cast to enjoy later. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Sin. It was a pleasure talking to you. Like Connor and I talked about at the end, we had a great conversation. Focusing on COVID-19, what is changing, staying the same, or the differences in the LGBTQ community, such as dating and representation, but also how theatre has shaped us and what we've learned from each of our experiences. If you'd like to get to know Connor a bit more, you can follow him on Instagram at Connor Ambler. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week for a brand new episode. For more information, follow us on Instagram at the traveling artist double underscore. Have an incredible rest of your day and don't forget, stay humble and live your life in the moment. We'll see you later.